Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I wish, sincerely I'm saying this, I wish I could give you all the gift of getting a chance to experience what I got a chance to experience over this weekend. And look, here's just the the cold hard truth in life like money is a factor right and i mean i think a lot of us would love to travel to every single georgia game and be a part of every single one of those and financially it's just really hard to do so a lot of folks wanted to go to the georgia tennessee game and just couldn't tickets were hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of dollars that's really expensive a lot of folks whose whose preference would be to be in the stadium because of money had to choose not to do that when you think about the college football playoff that's coming up you know georgia may get lucky and play the game semifinal in atlanta but if it does tickets for that are going to be eight gazillion dollars and sec championship tickets going to be expensive for that maybe traveling out to la for the national championship you'd like to be able to do that and that may be really expensive too there's just a fact of life that you know for a lot of us who are georgia fans we don't get the experience of maybe wanting to be as close to this team as we always want to because it's just you know travel tickets everything else just kind of gets expensive but for those georgia fans who were lucky enough to be in starkville on saturday as cold as it was i'm telling you this will i think end up being a pretty special memory for a lot of us now i go to the games for work no matter what my family decided to hop in the car and come with me to this game because the fact is is that tickets weren't all that expensive compared to typical georgia games tickets weren't all that expensive and it's actually not that far of a drive and so it was kind of funny to watch over the course of the you know the the couple days of the weekend you talked to a lot of georgia fans and i heard the same thing a lot of yeah at the last minute we basically just sort of decided to come we looked online we saw tickets were blah 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 dollars and so we could get a hotel room in tuscaloosa alabama's on the road tuscaloosa's on the way to starkville it's hard to get a you know there's not many hotels in starkville so you gotta kind of either stay in like columbus mississippi or or starkville uh, i should say or tuscaloosa alabama somewhere like that and the travel just sort of fell into place and i think a lot of georgia fans even though it was freezing cold you had to wear you know multiple layers to be a part of it i think a lot of the georgia fans who were there would tell you it'll end up being a really good memory because you looked around and you thought maybe you might be the only georgia fan who was going but i'm going to be there to support my team and then you realize that maybe twenty thousand georgia fans or at least 10 15 000, whatever the number actually was kind of made the same decision and it was kind of one of these sort of like impromptu dog nation invasions a very casual stadium takeover and georgia fans were freezing cold and shivering and everything else if you watch our dog nation post game show on saturday you saw my teeth chattering uh, through all of that too but it was a chance to watch this team play it was a chance to see this team put its championship characteristics on display once again and for the georgia fans who are you know kind of living through this golden age if they can find a way to be in the same venue where this team is playing if they can find a way to be a part of that that is what they want to do and that's what i'll kind of remember for the moment a whole bunch of georgia fans who had the proper appreciation for just how special this season is we don't know how it's going to end yet we don't know it you know go for two and 22 is our mission that's not a prophecy right we, we don't know if it's going to play out or not we're just saying that it can play out we said it before the season began that georgia was a legitimate real national championship contender and here we are kind of moving to the final two regular season games where that's just as true as ever and what i loved about saturday was for all those georgia fans who traveled from wherever they were to get there they were certainly expressing a proper appreciation for all of that and I would say that Saturday in Starkville with those cowbells ringing with the Mississippi State team that already won six times here this year, 
Georgia kind of proved once again why its championship contender status is real and legit and why this may actually be a team that brings home that national championship trophy again will certainly have a great chance to. And I say that knowing full well, there were some moments on Saturday where things didn't look all that great. And you've heard me say this a million times before, that the standard is not perfection. If the standard is per- is perfection, then no team passes that test. No team this year does. Think about the great teams of all time. Even in recent years, we've seen a team like, say, 2019 LSU, which would probably rank in most folks' mind as one of the best teams they've ever seen. And yeah, you can find individual moments during that season where they didn't certainly look perfect. Now, they finished undefeated, but they certainly didn't look perfect based on the way they played a few times there that year. Even a team like that you know, had some imperfect moments. Georgia's national championship a year ago provided some imperfect moments where you're left to wonder, how is all of this going to end? A lot of things feel like a failure in the middle. It's only at the end when you look back on it that you realize it was all part of the journey to kind of get you where you needed to go. And on Saturday, there was an example of that. And what I'm about to say is going to probably sound like a little bit of an overstatement, I realize, but I think based on my own emotional response to it, I think it's... uh, probably accurate is that one of the single most shocking things that I've seen happen in a Georgia football game in years took place at the end of this half I think we all kind of knew the story here that Georgia had come on the road it kind of built its lead was dominating on defense was you know scoring the points it needed to to kind of coast to an easy victory and I think a lot of us there in that first half had a pretty good idea of how this game was playing out. I kind of joke with some people in the press box that Georgia looks like a team that's trying to get its business taken care of here so we can get back inside where it's warm. That was kind of the – I mean, they played the first quarter in like 45 minutes. I mean, it was, it was flying through. This was on pace to be a very quick game and on pace to be a very dominant UGA victory. Then, you know, the whole world fell apart right there near the end of the first half. Georgia has kind of a odd clock management decision where it chooses to throw the ball on third down, uh, stopping the clock, preserving a chance for uh, Mississippi State to get the football back there late. Uh, And then there's a kind of a bad punt, poor coverage. Uh, Bulldogs take it back for a punt return touchdown. And suddenly what was a big Georgia lead gets narrowed. It's like instead of being 17 to six with Georgia kind of coasting towards an easy victory, all of a sudden now it's 17, 13 and the crowd's getting back into it. And you, you know, start to have the the belief that, well, gosh, now Georgia got to play all four quarters intensely after it seemed like they were going to be coasting to an easy victory. It was really, really, really bad. And to Kirby Smart's credit, when the game was over with, he did not sugarcoat how bad it was and did not really try to keep some of his, I guess, unhappiness about that moment in house. He laid it all out uh, incredibly perfect. Uh, it, not it wasn't not a perfect sequence, but his his description of this was not you know uh, in any way unclear about how unhappy he was with the way in which Georgia ended this. Whether it be coaches, players, everything else, Kirby had plenty of blame to go around. This is him from that post game press conference on Saturday about the disastrous conclusion of the first half that resulted in a Mississippi State punt return for a touchdown. Here's Kirby Smart on that. As bad as it's been, we, we, we discussed it uh, before we went out there and we were going to throw a screen on first down, which is a you know chance to get it going. You know, you hit Lad right there and you get it going, the clock's running. And the decision there, once we hit Lad, we thought, okay, we're going to go two minute and try to get it going. Then we threw it incomplete. Um, and then the decision was to run the ball and be called a run, but it has the option of, of, of throwing it. And that goes back to, you know, maybe us reining it in some, not putting so much on Stetson. It was quarterback draw with the option to throw it. And then once we threw it, now we got 
problems. We've got to punt. You know, they only have one timeout, so we had three timeouts. And usually, you want to play that aggressive and use that, and it backfired on us. And we also protected on the punt, thinking they'd rush it, and we didn't have the one gunner in. So once they got out, we didn't have enough speed on the field to get them down. There's a very, very poor job of, uh, of managing the before the half situation. It's the baddest I've ever been a part of. I know sometimes the away game press conferences, you have a little bit of an odd audio thing. So hopefully you can hear what, what Kirby Smart said there. At the end, he says, that was as bad a sequence to end the half as I've ever been a part of. Now, let me tell you this about Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart's an intense dude, but he is not hyperbolic very much. He does not exaggerate, at least in my mind, very much. For him to say that's as bad a sequence to end a half as I've ever been a part of, uh, that. <laughs> That's a pretty bold statement there from Smart. And frankly, I don't think it's necessarily all that uh, much of an exaggeration. I can tell you that, I mean, my mouth was like wide open. I I could not believe how much things fell apart so quickly where, you know, Georgia seemed to be this sort of odd mood offensively where it was kind of trying to run something, but was also kind of not trying to run something, kind of stuck between we're trying to run two minute here. We're trying to run clock here. It sort of seemed like George was sort of stuck in between those two things. And obviously, anytime you're kind of of two minds, a lot of times, you know, things end up being kind of a, you know, a problematic issue. And that was certainly an example of that. And then you give it the punt return touchdown. And it seemed like George had like eight guys in the field. Like there was nobody out there. What at least it looked like to, uh, you know, to cover the punt. The whole thing was just an absolute mess. And Kirby says it was as bad as I've ever seen. And he kind of throws some blame in Stetson Bennett's direction on that, throws some blame on the special teams on that, throws some blame on a lot of things, but saying this was as bad a sequence as I have been a part of. And here's the thing you got to understand, and most of you do. For a lot of teams, that would be the story. For a lot of teams, that would be all you need to know. Oh, it looked like George was coasting an easy victory, but then, ah, oh, you know, George, what was it the people used to say in the old days? Ah, oh, Georgia, Georgia, it used to be a verb. Now, Georgia, Georgia, you know, Georgia, you know, let them back in the game. And all of a sudden now you're fighting for your life. And maybe there was previous eras of Georgia football history where a game like that could have actually turned into a loss. Um, when you allow a team like that to start believing in itself, sometimes they take advantage of that belief and they build it on something. But you know that's not what what happened on Saturday. And the point here is not to say, good job, Georgia, you still coasted to an easy victory, even though you made it hard on yourself there for a while. In one respect, that's kind of true. But the point here is to say, how was it that Georgia did that? And this is the thing you got to understand. There is a certain makeup that Georgia has right now that allows it to still remain excellent even when it's imperfect. Because the fact of the matter is, is you're always going to be imperfect. I'm even talking about decision making, right? It's like even brilliant people make bad decisions. You can cite lots of examples maybe from your own life where you've seen that be true. Maybe you are a brilliant person that's occasionally made some bad decisions. That, that you know the, the Georgia coaching staff, the Georgia players, pretty sharp dude all the way around but even they are capable at times making bad decisions the job here is not to say don't ever make a bad decision the job here is to remain excellent even when you have some imperfections or some blemishes that kind of creep into the story and on Saturday that was the case and so it's fair to ask here it's important to ask here so what did Georgia do when it made things really hard on itself well it came back out in the second half and it continued its defensive dominance but it also dialed up a really clever play. And this is what makes Georgia different now from some of the previous iterations of Georgia. The fact of the matter is, since Kirby Smart has been head coach of Georgia, Georgia's had at least a good defense, at least good on defense. And there are some years where the defense is probably even better than good. 
But Georgia didn't quite have that complimentary offense that was at the same level. And so Georgia might win 10 or 11 games. It might get to the Sugar Bowl. It might be a dangerous opponent in the SEC championship. But it wasn't getting to the college football playoff maybe as much as it could have. Certainly did in 2017. But there were some other years in which this was almost a playoff-level team, but just kind of missed it, just sort of missed it. And in a year like this, you sort of see, no, all of a sudden this team now has an offense that rivals the success of its defense. And when you need to kind of build some momentum to begin a third quarter here uh, on the heels of your own unforced error in the half, you're not just saying, hey, defense, go out there and bow your back. Defense, go out there and uh, be tough. Defense, go out there and bail us out here. No, you can turn to the offense and say, hey, Todd Munkin, you have a clever play design here. We could really use something right now. You got, a, you got anything in that bag of tricks you can pull out? And for a team like Georgia right now, they do have that. And you know what it was. It's the uh, rushing play uh, set up the end around for uh, Lad McConkey. He takes it back for a big touchdown, and boom, the route was back on again. And I just think you have to appreciate how it is that Georgia is capable of digging itself out of holes, even holes that it puts itself in. How does it get itself back out? They're not just asking the defense to do that. They can do that offensively now there as well. And once again, Kirby Smart after the game talked about that on Saturday. Tremendous job offensively to get the ball in the second half. We thought that would define the half. Could we take the, the crowd out of it? Could we get some momentum back? Uh, we had lost momentum there um, in, the, in the first half at the end of it. And tremendous job by Darnell Washington, just elite perimeter blocker. Lad breaks one tackle. Rose and me, a couple other guys had blocks downfield, and then Lad outran them. So uh, it was a great play call, great play design. It's a play that we put in uh, this week um, for that look, and, and it hit. It was an absolutely monstrous game by Ladd McConkey, and you got to give him a ton of credit for that. We'll even have some fun with that with one of our golden shoes before the show is done today. But the entire sequence there that Kirby Smart's describing is sort of a statement about what George is about right now. Darnell Washington is a former five-star recruit, and obviously it was great to see him get in the end zone on Saturday, great to see him you know, be targeting this offense. But the fact that a guy like this, who had so many accolades and obviously has so many NFL aspirations, the fact that he is such a dominant elite level blocker is such a valuable asset for Georgia. There are a lot of teams right now that just don't have the same concept of what it means to sort of be connected and play together the way that Georgia does. And I know that sounds corny and it sounds like coach speak and it sounds like things like, you know, uh, sentimental old fools like me probably just sort of get way too much into but look at your own eye with your own eyes folks it's real this is happening this is what georgia football is all about a former five-star like darnell putting his body on the line to become an extra blocker for georgia on a play like that and then georgia finding a way to get darnell a touchdown to say hey we just appreciate what you're doing for us we just appreciate the way in which you make this offense go even on plays in which the crowd's not looking at what you're doing we know you're doing it great for us so here's a touchdown as a way of saying thank you and hopefully there's more of those that are coming here at at, at a certain point but georgia kind of made things harder on saturday than it needed to be and yet eventually made it look easier than almost any team in the country would be able to do that's kind of the full story of the dogs here this year if you were there i know how much you appreciate it if you were there in person shivering through that cold i think you saw once again why georgia is on the shortest of short lists for teams that can win this year's national championship this is a special season here at the moment i don't know how it ends could end in disappointment obviously college football has a way of doing that but for right now georgia's on quite a ride it was a ride that took them through starkville mississippi on saturday another box checked and now on to the next one 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start even earlier than that. Uh, 9.45 on DogNation.com, the Dog Nation app. We call it our first and 15. We take your comments there uh, each and every day to kind of share your thoughts about UGA and kind of what's going on. Set the stage for the rest of the day that's on its way. So for those of you who tune in on our own platforms there at DogNation.com, the Dog Nation app, we certainly appreciate that. And for those of you listening to the radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, or as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous DogNation.com, we are happy to have all of you with us for all of this and a big thanks to our friends at pella window and door of georgia for making it all possible i love our friends there pella great great folks uh just a terrific terrific business that really provides an important product and service for those of us who are homeowners that especially this time of year because let me tell you something it was freezing cold last night it's gonna be cold here now for a while and for some reason i think about pella window and door of georgia a lot during the winter because when it's cold you know that cold air can kind of come in your house i remember we used to live in an old house years ago in the winter time it sort of felt like you were outside because there was so much of that cold air kind of creeping through doors and windows that probably just weren't quite properly sealed or just kind of a deficient product or something like that this is our old house years ago where it's just cold you know drafty old drafty houses <laughs> you've heard that word drafty before well pella window and door of georgia can prevent that sort of drafty feeling in your house on a uh winter time like this because this is you know viewed to be the best this is you know the the expert pella installation process these are the a wonderful line of products the doors the windows uh in energy efficient that means you're spending a bunch of money on your heating bill right now you don't want that heat creeping out of your house you want it to stay right there in your house and pella window and door of georgia is all about that that cold air on the outside keep it out there where it's supposed to be you say toasty and warm right there on the inside so stop by and see them in their uh, experience center right there in duluth i actually really love that it's an amazing facility we've been there before done show there before it's a really cool warehouse you know situation but it's also a chance to kind of kind of put your hands on the product and sort of feel the doors feel the windows feel what makes them better and talk in person to one of those pella experts it's a no pressure consultation they just want to tell you about the line of products they have the installation options you have and maybe some savings opportunities there too because right now between now and november 30th you can get payments as low as $199 a month or $200 off windows or $400 off doors. So stop by and see them right there in Duluth or find them online, PellaofGA.com slash dognation. That website, one more time, PellaofGA.com slash dognation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1429. That is, or excuse me, uh, that is not the right, let me, let me all right, so uh, the, it's 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Uh, Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. So glad to have them and all of us with us here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. It's John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a uh, little bit. Happy to have John as a part of the program. We'll talk to John about what it felt like to be on the first Georgia team to ever win the SEC East and kind of what it means for him to see Georgia now doing that again on such a regular basis. And before we get to John, let's fact, let's make that the subject of Around the Doghouse here today, uh, presented by our friends at AAA and assisted by our friends at AAA here today. And it's interesting, you know, Kirby Smart also on Saturday talked a little bit about that, you know, the fact that into the press conference several minutes, the subject of you know own the east winning the division had not come up that had not been a big deal 
and there was a kind of a nice celebration on the field with this i always love the homemade signs <laughs> it's like for the national championship you get a crystal football for winning the division you get a homemade sign but still there's something really cool and special about that it makes for a great photo opportunity it's kind of one of those things where it's like there was a real interesting connection between the fans who were in the stadium on Saturday and the team itself because, you know, you did have a fan who kind of makes this sign, SEC East champs, and, you know, the Georgia coaches and players and eventually I think even Kirby Sun kind of walking around holding this thing up. It was just kind of a cool, kind of an old-school throwback type day as Georgia wins the division again. This team obviously has so many more aspirations than that, but winning the division is kind of a step towards all of that. So let me let you hear Kirby Smart on kind of, I guess, the the downplaying of winning the division for a team like this who's kind of getting a little bit more used to being in Atlanta for the SEC championship. This is Kirby on that point after the game on Saturday. Yeah, we, we, we didn't talk about it in the locker room. I mean, uh, it's not that was not a, our goal or our intention. You know, that was not what we came over here to do. We came over here to, to beat Mississippi State, and we're going to go – try to beat Kentucky next week and um, those are things that come because of it and we acknowledge that but it's, it's, it's one step at a time man you can't get ahead of yourself in this league you look across this league playing on the road is difficult and hard and this is a tough place to play and it's really a tough offense to play because it's for the third week we've had no overlap in our calls so we went Florida Tennessee Mississippi State and it's just I don't want to minimize what our team is doing right now in terms of commitment to practice and toughness and, and doing things the right way. I just, I'm really proud of them, and I think, I think people take it for granted sometimes. It's hard to do what they've been doing. I could talk for probably 20 minutes on what Kirby Smart said right there. I just think it's so important. Once again, as I said off the top of the program, Kirby, or not a couple of minutes ago, I said this. Kirby's not some hyperbolic guy. Like, Kirby's not exaggerating to make a point very much. That's just not what he does. When he says, I am really proud of this team, y'all, you got to take him at his word that he means that. Because if he didn't mean it, he wouldn't say it. You've known him long enough to know that's the case. When he says, I am really proud of this team, he is seeing things on a daily basis that makes him feel that way. And this is the thing that those of you who played on teams or coach teams understand is that the games themselves are only part of the story. That if you're on a football team, the majority of what you do as a team is not a game. The majority of what you do as a team is getting ready for games. During the week of practice, during the offseason, before the start of the season, that's really what the DNA of a team is really about. It's about the time you spend thinking about a game. Not the time you spend playing a game. The actual game time is only a small portion of any sport in any season. It's the stuff that you do to get ready for those games that really matters. And that's where the connection component of all this comes together for Georgia. When Kirby Smart says, I'm really proud of this team, I think you have to assume that he really means it. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, you ought to be confident enough in Kirby's ability to know what matters and what doesn't, that Kirby's pride in this team is probably a, a pretty good sign for, from where they can, for where they can go from here. And then the other thing. I just don't think you can discount any of this. As he says, this is not as easy as Georgia makes it look. Now, that's not quite the way in which he said it, but it is the truth. Going on the road and winning at a place like Mississippi State by 20-whatever points, that is just not easy. Georgia makes it look easy, but in actuality, it's really, really hard. And you know, to be in a position where you know Georgia is – 
kind of on the heels of winning a national championship, undefeated after 10 regular season games, with a ticket already punched to Atlanta for the SEC championship, and a very realistic chance. We say go for two around, go for two and 22 around here. We obviously like that, but that's more about a mission statement. That's not a prophecy. That's not a guarantee for what can happen. That's simply an indication of what could happen if this Georgia team continues to fire on all cylinders the way that it is right now. And Kirby Smart, in his words right there, it's obvious that he has such a great appreciation for that. I'm kind of old school. I remember a time in which Georgia dreamed of winning the East for the first time. So you better believe that every time Georgia wins that division, I am additionally grateful for like the state of this program now compared to the way that things were back when the sec championship was first introduced and georgia just wasn't punching its ticket to be in this game well now it's doing it almost every single year i love the way in which history is going to change in georgia's favor but beyond that i also like the fact that as georgia moves towards the postseason it does so with the best resume of anybody there is nobody right now who has a stronger claim to being the best team in the country than georgia currently does and there is no one best position to prove in the postseason that it is truly the best team in the country than what georgia is and winning the division guaranteeing a spot in the sec championship solidifying a playoff resume is, is obviously a very big part of all of that so that is around the doghouse it's presented today by our friends at AAA, and of course when i'm traveling as i was this weekend high school football on friday in the atlanta area getting up early on saturday morning you know, driving through alabama getting to starkville then coming back yesterday on things like that i'm always happy to have that AAA roadside assistance with me that card in my pocket that lets me know that everything is taken care of if something goes wrong and i'm also grateful to tell you about the fact that AAA can do a lot more for you than that they can also be a great resource when it comes to your insurance needs sometimes we talk about the auto insurance but i want you to think about home insurance with our friends at AAA there as well because when it comes to AAA and your opportunity to get your home insurance through AAA, you can get claim forgiveness this is a really cool feature that comes your way when you get your home insurance through AAA, which means your first claim can be forgiven if you're insured in claim three through AAA for five years so hey if things you know are going the way they're supposed to there at your home AAA wants to say thank you for just taking good care of your home and all that kind of stuff with that claim forgiveness opportunity with our friends at AAA. It's just one of the ways in which they're offering great savings opportunity for you so you can find out all the great benefits that come your way from AAA by going to AAA.com slash home insurance that's triple a.com slash home insurance or give them a call 833-718-2075 that's 833-718-2075 to find a branch near you all right uh good to have all of you with us here today before we're done there is a lot to get into as far as other sec teams other playoff contenders what's going on underneath georgia in the race for the college football playoff is actually really interesting right now and so we'll do our part to talk about that as georgia stands above it above all the fray looking down on it we'll talk about all that here coming up uh, but first on everything from georgia winning against mississippi state own the east here again and all that's associated with that let's talk to our buddy john stinchcomb right now here on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Glad to have John Stinchcomb on the program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. John, we love having you every day. But I think today there's kind of an additional importance on this because, you know, you're obviously pretty famous in some circles when it comes to the speech that you made prior to the second half and that Auburn game back in 2002 that 
a lot of folks who are on that team would say kind of helped propel Georgia to victory there that day and longtime Georgia fans will know the result of that win was the first ever division title in this program's history you know the SEC championship had been around all throughout the 90s and you know those of us who are dog fans were kind of dreaming of the day we'd see our team play there and unfortunately we had to dream far too long before it finally took place you were on the first one to do it well now Georgia wins the East with regularity they won five of the last uh, six years have played in the SEC championship though sort of weird pandemic year the only year in which that didn't happen so for someone who was a part of the first one and kind of knows what it meant back then what does it mean to you now to see this becoming the kind of thing that Georgia fans almost view as a birthright yeah I, I think it's remarkable and you got to give credit to coach smart and his staff for creating and raising the bar to a whole new standard that winning the east is just a a step on the path to get where we're going on an annual basis and I give I give them all the credit in the world. That was not that was not an easy feat to accomplish twenty years ago, and now it's become commonplace. And um, it is a whole new standard here at Georgia. The expectations are higher, and they're realistic when they're set there. And um, it's a fun to be a part of and witness something that is truly special. I think we've seen other. Uh, teams do it, other schools do it in recent history, and I think Georgia is in that place now uh, where they are at the top of the mountain where every other team is is looking to knock them off, and that's a hard-earned position, and it it takes a lot of effort to maintain that status, but uh, give credit where credit is due, and Coach Smart has put this team and this club at the top of the heap for everyone else to, to shoot for. When you guys did win it for the first time in 2002, knowing it had never happened before in program history, how much did you celebrate? I mean, obviously, even back then, beating Auburn was also kind of a big deal, too. So there was an individual win that was you know worth celebrating. But but to know it was a division title and that you guys were going to the SEC championship, I can tell you as a fan, like the tickets back then were so expensive for that SEC title game because of uh, that's how much of a hunger there was on the part of Georgia fans to be there. How much in that particular year did y'all celebrate that moment in that locker room at Auburn once that game was done? Oh, we celebrated all right, buddy. It was a it was a fun atmosphere. Just because, you know, we talked about Coach Rick was talking about that glass ceiling that exists on the on the team. And for us to be able to break through and uh, carry the torch a little bit higher up that mountain than where it had been in, in recent years. It was an honor, and man, we celebrated it because we felt like we had something special, and we also knew that our work wasn't done. I think we went to that SEC championship game and beat the brakes off of that Arkansas team with uh, Darren McFadden, and they had some good players, but man, it was we had a special group and felt like we were um, starting to be that cup bearer, that new standard, raising the standard, if you will, for the organization, and um, it was a, a joy to be a part of, and that locker room was the place to be after that game because you know, we knew we had done something that Georgia hadn't been able to do in uh, a long time. And when you look at the game on Saturday against Mississippi State, John, it was not a perfect game, but I think the proper context for this is Georgia goes on the road, wins the division by dominating an opponent in its own stadium who can be tough and tricky and already won six times this year. 
And then when you finally get to like the third or fourth paragraph and you finally get down to the footnotes, then you say, and they had to overcome a bunch of, uh, you know, unforced errors to do so. That clearly Georgia had some imperfections on Saturday. But for me, if you're trying to properly contextualize the story, that's way less important than the overall big picture here is, which is Georgia is going out and making games like this look easier than they actually are, but maybe as easy as a national championship level team is supposed to make them look. To me, that's the far more consequential uh, I guess, you know, piece of information from a game like this. And then after that, you can kind of get into what Georgia didn't do particularly well. But what it did do to me overwhelms and should overwhelm your mind share after a game like this. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's always funny when you talk about perspective. It's like uh, rating players getting ready for the NFL draft. And when you're a first round draft pick, what do they talk about? They talk about the things that you need to work on and that you can't do, right? And by the middle of the rounds, you're talking about like, well, he's got potential. You know, this guy, you've seen him do some special things, and that's where Georgia is now, is, is you win and and beat these good teams. Mississippi State's a good team. They're not elite. They're not at the, the top of the national food chain. But they're a good team, and Georgia beat them handedly and, and had some big plays along the way that are identifiers for not only a game but for both programs. You know, some big stops in third and fourth down and – overcoming some adversity, which is what you have to do, no matter whether you're the best team in the country or not. I mean, you're going to have those plays and those drives and those ebbs and flows in a game that you have to overcome. And because of Georgia being who they are, now on a national level you're looking at, man, they they missed on these opportunities and all these things, and and you're trying to find the chinks in the armor because they have distinguished themselves. And – it is clear to anyone that, that's watching college football right now that Georgia is the best team in the country, and, and what we're trying to figure out is who, who can play up to that level and, and threaten them because, you know, they don't play perfect. I've never seen a team that does. Yeah. And, you know, Saturday was a great example of it. They beat a good team. They, they didn't look flawless um, and still came away with, you know, a, 26 point victory so that's that's where georgia is right now where the critics are looking for the chinks in the armor of a team that is head and shoulders above you know the 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 rest and i think what's interesting to me john is is the specific way in which georgia pulled away in this game after it obviously made it way way tougher than it needs to be at the end of the half like that and it's with the firepower on offense you know the total story of the game is Stetson Bennett has a remarkable rushing touchdown. You know, you game plan Brock Bowers wide open. You game plan Darnell Washington wide open. You turn Lad McConkey loose in a huge way, especially for the big rushing touchdown at the beginning of the uh, second half. John, there's a level of offensive firepower that exists on this team now that they didn't have a couple of years ago. And, you know, the defense was remarkable once again. We sort of come to expect that. But when you lean on your offense, when you turn to that group, hey, we need to get the momentum back here. Can y'all go out there and dial something up? And the answer is yes, we can. Um, That, to me, just speaks to what Georgia is capable of doing now. It's not just out there trying to make sure it doesn't give up too much defensively. It's also out there saying we can swing for the fences offensively and we can create margin that way, too. And I just love this era of Georgia football because it's really both sides of the ball who are proving to be capable here. 
Yes, and it's so versatile. I mean, obviously, we have the best tight ends in the country, and Brock Bowers is single-handedly, uh, or obviously, the, in my opinion, the best tight end, arguably the best offensive weapon um, in college right now. But Darnell Washington is a stud, and to have those two guys um, really sets this offense apart. And when you look at the rest of the team, there's playmakers, but nobody has, you know, that that pedigree of, of plays week in and week out that separates him and is like, oh, there's their other go-to guy. And I say that as a compliment to this offense because uh, the way it operates, any one of those players is a playmaker at any given moment. And uh, with the diversity and plays that are being called and uh, the formations and the personnel groupings, I think that only raises the bar for a defense that is facing Georgia because Stetson is, you know, it's amazing to me, if I'm going to be honest with you, B.A., that folks are still critical of him because, you know, is he perfect? No, but man, he he gives our players a chance um, with his aggressive nature and throwing it and has proven week in and week out that his running ability is still underrated. I, I marvel at that fact. I mean, he, the guy is a threat when he's running the ball and um, with the other players around him, this offense, which, you know, we came into the season thinking they would have to carry a lot more of the water, which is a compliment to this defense because as they've replaced players, um, what what drop off do you see? I, even in this game against Mississippi State, punt return for a touchdown, and, and then Mississippi State gets a a short field where they come away with another touchdown. Other than that, this defense is playing lights out. So uh, again, speaks to the complimentary level of football, the high level of execution on both sides of the ball, and just something that that elite teams have and Georgia's proving that week in and week out so just to be honest and everything you say is 100 percent true but we did also talk about this uh before you joined us that sequence in the half was horrendous Kirby said <laughs> Kirby said it was the worst he's ever been a part of which is a football career that now lasts a, a very long time and John I know you're all about playing the game the right way I'm just telling you like my mouth was wide open in the press mm-hmm. box I could not believe how badly things went for Georgia very very quickly and how all of a sudden now is this gonna be a four-quarter game like what is Georgia doing so like I mean I, I don't mind telling you that moment into the half I was shocked at how bad that got how quickly it got so bad and all of a sudden it got like 20 degrees colder too because when you're coasting an easy win the cold's not so bad anymore because you feel like you're going to get out of there pretty quick but when 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 it goes as bad as it did right there all of a sudden now i'm shivering even more because now you realize you have to dig in and play for the next 30 minutes that was a a disastrous conclusion to the first half uh, no way to sugarcoat that oh yeah it couldn't have gone worse and and i think <laughs> I mean, when you mismanage the clock like it was and you put yourself up against the wall and you have a game in hand the way Georgia did and you find a way to screw it up, which is what Georgia did, right? I mean, they found a way to make this a problem. Um, how you respond to that, I think, is how what defines teams. They're going to screw up at times and – that was an epic failure in management at the end of the half. You just look at it and you go, how do you let this happen? But the way Georgia responded, 
I think that's what defines champions, that, yep, you shouldn't screw up like that, but you did, and now what are you going to do about it? And uh, the way Georgia came out in that second half and suffocated Mississippi State from a defensive side of things and, and were able to put up points, I think that's really where the story is, is, you know, can can you learn from that last minute and a half of the second quarter moving forward? You better believe it. And we better cover punts a heck of a lot better and not kick them short and low and in the middle of the field to a playmaker and then not cover well. Yeah, we can clean that up. But I was very uh, impressed with the response. There's a lot of teams that, you know, all of a sudden – adversity happens and they're not able to respond well and, and Georgia did exactly what they needed to coming off of a pretty horrendous series of events so very quickly here before I let you go and something tells me we'll talk about this 9,000 times you know before it takes place but early thought from you on LSU being the team that Georgia will now face in the mm-hmm. SEC championship yeah uh, who, who would have thought that in week three right when you look at the early season I think most folks have written off the Bayou Bengals is, is not a potential threat, but you know they've got some playmakers and they're playing with confidence. Do I think they're at the level of Georgia? Absolutely not. I mean they've they've got some good players and they've got some momentum, but um, yeah, that's that's why you play the game. I think uh, there's a couple other teams that had come in that probably on paper would be more threatening. Tennessee being one of them and. I'll also throw this out there. I, I don't have any uh, ill feelings of not having to face Alabama, even knowing that this is a down year from them and they don't look the same. i tell you what, when you've got Bryce Young and, and Nick Saban across from you, it can't give you uh, warm and fuzzy feelings on, in, on the inside. So I'm grateful that it's a, a change of face representing the West, and I think it's going to be a really good matchup for Georgia. But, you know, it – this is why you play the game because a confident team that does have talent uh, can be a very dangerous one. John, great stuff. Thank you for being here on our uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. We'll obviously look forward to talking to you a lot in the days to come. It is quite a postseason setting up here for UGA. A couple more regular season games before we get there, but uh, a lot of fun days ahead, and we'll look forward to talking to you about all of them right here on our program. Always a good time to be a dog, especially when we own the East one more year. I like it, John. Good stuff. I like it, John. Appreciate that. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. How about John Stinchcomb right there at the end throwing the uh, tagline out there, the catchphrase, own the East. And uh, got the own the East t-shirt on today. Feeling good about that. Uh, you can get yours, dognation.com. Uh, you can just click the link at the top of the page. Go to dognation.com. Click that right there. You can get in. You can get the Own the East t-shirt. I was wearing this. actually. So I finally put it on Saturday night uh, at the end of the post-game uh, show. I'm just telling you right now. That post-game show was one of the toughest I've had to endure, uh, which is sort of speaks to the easy life I've lived, if that's the toughest it's been for me. But it was freezing cold. It's so cold I almost couldn't think, uh, which some of y'all would say that I need to be thinking more on a regular basis than I am. Even if that is true, this is even harder on Saturday. I mean, I was just like shell-shocked by how cold it was. Uh, but finally put the Only East t-shirt on before the end of the show. And by the way, if you want to put it on yourself to show everybody that dogs on top 
here at the uh, SEC East. Own the East again. Watch on video. Click that QR code. Get in there and get it. Go to dognation.com. It's also dognation.store. You can just go directly to that. And you can get your Go for Two and Twenty Two T-shirt. Some of you saw on Twitter yesterday. I put the Go for Two Twenty Two T-shirt on to make fun of the Nick Saban statue. Being in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, was a very strange thing yesterday. There were dog fans everywhere in Tuscaloosa. I'm talking about everywhere, and there were a lot of Alabama people, people that were not too happy about it. And ultimately, they didn't, you know, cause too much of a stir or anything like that. But it was definitely confusing to them to see so many Georgia fans on their campus. But to get to Starkville, I mean, there ain't but one way to get to Starkville. you got to go straight through Tuscaloosa to get there. Uh, and so there's also not a ton of hotel situation in Starkville. So it's either you're staying in Columbus, Mississippi, or you're staying in Starkville. And there were Georgia fans everywhere. Like yesterday, we went to the Bear Bryant Museum. We went, <laughs> went you know, Dreamland, had some ribs. Um, uh, <laughs> went to the waffle house for breakfast and the cook right we walked in because you know my family were decked out in red and black as much as anybody could be and uh, he looked at us and goes roll tide that's what he said he just looked at us and said that right away let us know that uh, we were in enemy territory but honestly they gave us a great meal and they were super nice about the whole thing there so it was um it was quite an experience to be there in tuscaloosa yesterday uh but own the east t-shirt was on full display the go for two and 22 t-shirt was worn in tuscaloosa so we feel pretty good about all this right now in fact let's also get ready to start talking about the rest of the sec story here as we're cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and something else we're getting really excited about being on a royal caribbean cruise ship because i gotta tell you this time of year makes me remind myself of how much i do not like winter how much i do not like cold weather i'm just not built for this i'm not i'm built for the caribbean i'm built for the bahamas i'm built for you know independence of the seas that's what i'm made for i want to be working on my tan not trying to find out how many layers i can put on i'm that's i'm just way more into that coastal vibe here i'm way more into that caribbean vibe and the royal caribbean cruise ship gives me a chance to enjoy that going to be on wonder of the seas coming up i'm really looking forward to that in fact i'm going to be on wonder of the seas a couple of times here coming up but i'm also looking forward to being with all of you on board independence of the seas coming up in april april 24th to the 28th for our second ever cruise with dog nation uh this is going to be huge we've already gotten so many staterooms booked so many folks gonna be a big part of this and there's still time for you to be a part of it there as well so visit the website royaldogs.com that's royaldogs.com that's the website that's been made specifically for our dog nation cruise you can also call jessica slater she's a travel agent specially selected for us uh, to help you book your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She'll answer all your questions as it relates to uh, the Dog Nation cruise. But she can also tell you about the uh, cool new things going down on uh, Icon of the Seas, the great new, the newest eventually, when it f- finally comes online here, uh, the, uh, the newest ship that's on its way from our friends at Royal Caribbean, January of 2024, Icon of the Seas, is going to be amazing all right so let's kind of get in this and go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean here for a moment and let's start with lsu punching its ticket for the sec championship by winning on saturday against arkansas you saw our uh, producer michael carvello a moment ago put on the screen a uh, tweet from brian kelly celebrating uh, linebacker Harold, per- Harold perkins for his performance against arkansas about eight total tackles four sacks uh two forced fumbles in this game uh, against arkansas on saturday for the former five-star linebacker and what's amazing here is so for all of the recruiting wins that texas a&m had 
and in their class of 2022 it seems like they just won every recruiting battle every which way and you kind of know how it all went down the allegations obviously nil being the 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 fundamental driving force behind all of that and yet lo and behold here we are in november of the season after that unprecedented success with recruiting and what are we talking about here we're talking about a recruiting battle that A&M lost for Perkins. This is one in which it seemed like for a while Perkins was going to Texas A&M. LSU finally steps up, wins that battle. And all of a sudden now it kind of shines even more light on the failure at A&M that for all the recruiting battles they did win, the one that got, away, the one that got away ends up being one of the most consequential freshmen in all of the SEC. So credit to LSU for winning this. But another example of how things are so bad at Texas A&M for every five star they did sign, the one they didn't sign is right now the only one anyone is talking about. And as far as a couple other thoughts about the Georgia LSU matchup in the SEC championship, while Georgia's obviously going to be a huge favorite here, I've seen it as high as 15, 16, 17 points, depending on where you're looking in terms of early look ahead or projected lines is maybe the best way to say that because I'm not quite so sure you can bet on this game right now, but projected lines for what Georgia LSU would be, you're seeing it in excess of two touchdowns. I am reminded of this is that when Georgia played Notre Dame in 2019, that was also a big two-plus touchdown spread, and the game was in Athens. And the fact is, Notre Dame kept that game far closer than it was supposed to be. So I guess in a roundabout way, Brian Kelly will have my respect as a coach going into this game, even though I believe that on paper LSU has been by far inferior to Georgia. And on Saturday against Arkansas, another example of that, doing very little offensively, uh, really getting saved by the freshman Perkins, as we said a moment ago. Otherwise, you might lose there in that spot. So with everything to play for uh, and a completely decimated by injury Arkansas team, LSU still barely won the game. So this is as easy an opponent as you can expect to play in an SEC championship game scenario if you're a team like Georgia. But, you know, Brian Kelly was also greatly overmatched in 2019 when Notre Dame came in here. And for all the attention that the crowd and the lights and all that got, the pageantry of the nighttime CBS game back in 2019, the fact is, is that Brian Kelly had a game plan that allowed LSU to keep it closer that day than they were really supposed to be able to, and certainly closer than the experts thought they would. Now, this is a far cry as a Georgia team different from what that team was. We've talked before in this show already today about the way in which this Georgia offense can kind of propel this team when 2019 they couldn't do that the 2019 offense including against Notre Dame was pretty inept so clearly Georgia way better now than it was then but Brian Kelly's had a good game plan against Georgia before so they'll at least have my respect as you kind of think about that and then I'll also say this at the beginning of the year the expectation obviously was that Georgia was going to play Alabama and the expectation was also that Georgia would be probably an underdog against Alabama And here's the thing that Georgia fans, I think, should understand. And in your ongoing arguments that you have online, and most of this is just good natured. It's just all kind of fun. You know, college football fans like talking trash back and forth. Even the folks in Tuscaloosa yesterday kind of had a smile on their face as they were, uh, you know, you know, you know, yelling at us or, you know, kind of, you know, know, jabbing at us. They were kind of smiling as they were doing it. It's just what the SEC kind of is, right? We have thick skin about that. At least I do. Most of you do there as well. But as you're having your ongoing debates with Alabama fans you're kind of back and forth fan duel type stuff not the company fan duel but dueling back and forth as a fan as you're doing all of that here is one thing for you to keep in mind here is a piece of some people would say propaganda but let's just say an argument point that Georgia fans ought to make more often than Alabama because the one thing that Alabama folks like to really hang over Georgia's head is 
how long it took Kirby Smart to finally beat Alabama. Now, that's happened in 2021, but it did not happen prior to that. And like like this year is a reminder of kind of one of the things that's kind of always gone on as it relates to Georgia and Alabama is that part of the reason why I believe that Georgia did not beat Alabama until January of 2021 or January of 2022, part of the reason why that didn't happen prior to that is, is some of the chances that Georgia would have had to play Alabama, they just didn't get to because Georgia was in the SEC championship and Alabama has a nasty habit of not qualifying for the SEC championship game. This year, 2022 being another example of this. This would be a great chance for Georgia to beat Alabama again, and yet Alabama's not even good enough to get to the game. And the same thing was true in 2019. You know, Georgia lost that year to LSU. How would Georgia have fared if it played Alabama? We'll never know because, once again, Alabama did not qualify for the SEC championship in the SEC championship of 2017. Now, we know that Alabama won the national championship against Georgia that year in a kind of close, uh, hard-fought, tightly contested game. But could Georgia have maybe beaten Alabama in the SEC championship? We'll never know because, once again, 2017 was an example of Alabama not making the game. Georgia's there and ready to play them, and they're and ready to get that signature win against Nick Saban. But lo and behold, three times in the last six years, Alabama has not been good enough to play in a game that Georgia qualified for. So in the ongoing discussion of how Kirby compares to Alabama, which now is kind of rendered moot because Alabama's kind of disappeared from the national landscape, but in the ongoing discussion about all of this, important to note that some of the chances that Georgia would have had to kind of even the score with Alabama and get some more wins against the Crimson Tide, take Nick Saban down a peg, they just simply weren't able to do that because Alabama did not qualify for the game. In the same span of time that Georgia's won its division five times in six years, Bama's only won its division half the time. Uh, So an interesting thing to consider here in the ongoing discussion of how, you know, George compares to Alabama. Now, by the way, the, uh, the playoff predictor thing that ESPN has still gives Alabama a 15% chance of making the playoff. Somebody's going to have to sit me down and explain how that all works. I'm not quite so sure about that. Uh, but apparently it's sponsored. It's probably just made up. But uh, nonetheless, they do still give Alabama a 15% chance of making the playoff. So uh, not quite sure about that. And by the way, speaking of Alabama, they do beat Ole Miss on Saturday. This was not a thing of beauty. This is just not the same Alabama team. Uh, you know, Ole Miss for a while looked like they might actually win the game. It seems like when it was all said and done, the fact they didn't actually Lane Kiffin was pretty despondent about that, even kind of made a big deal in the press conference about he didn't care about his stats, the fact that he had some good rushing totals and things like that. They wanted to win the game. Uh, I'm sure Lane Kiffin was using this as a resume booster for whatever job he wants next. Maybe it's the Auburn job, whatever else. Uh, But they didn't win. But Alabama, and even being in this kind of hard-fought game, uh, I, I'm just telling you right now, this is not this is not the same old Alabama. It, it's just not. And, you know, a lot of folks keep thinking it's supposed to come back. And there's this thing of, you know, like Lane Kiffin talks about the goat fuel. Y'all are giving Nick Saban goat fuel. Everybody's doubting Alabama. Like, we need to stop treating Nick Saban like he's Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. You know, in Return of the Jedi, Palpatine says, if you strike me down, I'm only going to become more powerful than ever. And like that's the that keeps being the sort of same thing that people keep assuming about Alabama. Oh, if you doubt them, now you made them mad. Oh, if you do this, now you made them mad. Y'all, this idea that Alabama is fueled by folks' doubt of them and fueled by folks' criticism of them, and now they're going to prove everybody wrong. Like, how many times does that have to be predicted before you just sort of realize that's just not what Alabama is anymore? Now, they may win a national championship in the future under Nick Saban. He may stick around. They may do it. I'm not saying they're going to completely evaporate. But as I told you a few weeks ago, the Alabama era is obviously over. The era in which they're the unquestioned best at everything, 
That's not true, certainly for, uh, across the board in college football. It's also no longer true in the SEC in general. Are they a contender? Yes. Will they be a preseason top five team next year? Almost certainly, probably so. Is this a team that you have to be living in fear of because, ah, goat fuel, ah, rat poison, ah, whatever else? Y'all, they've been doubted now three or four times this season, and everybody who's doubted them has proven to be right. Once again, they fail to cover a point spread on the road. They just don't leave Tuscaloosa and go dominate anymore. They just don't. They just don't. And I don't know what that means for their future, but in the present tense, Alabama is a good but not great team and certainly not a playoff level team here this year. It was supposed to be. They had it all lined up for them. They had the best player in the country on offense, best player in the country on defense. And yet they're ultimately going to lose this division this year to a first-year coach in Brian Kelly to a team that lost out of conference to begin the season. This is a disastrous year for Alabama. It should be called that. And doesn't mean the future is going to be disastrous, but in the present tense, Alabama is not an excellent football team. It's just not. And the game against Ole Miss, despite being a win, I think is more proof of that. Speaking of Alabama's Iron Bowl rival, Auburn here for a moment, they beat Texas A&M. Now, you have two stories going on here. On the one side of this, you have obviously – another emotional performance for interim Auburn coach Cadillac Williams who had this team playing better than it was probably supposed to two weeks ago against Mississippi State and actually comes out and earns the win against A&M on Saturday and there's a lot of folks in Auburn kind of talking about what this means to seeing Cadillac play as well as have the team playing as well as it is but I think the real story though here is on the A&M side this has already been an awful year for Texas A&M and when you're a coach who's making like a hundred million dollars whatever it is that Jimbo Fisher's making you can't lose a game like this to an interim coach you just can't I mean at a certain point you have to draw a line in the sand and say we may be bad but we're not going to be this bad but yet there seems to be a new depth to the awfulness for A&M with each passing week and yes I know for those of you who are like regular viewers to the show regular listeners to the show especially for those of you kind of stick around for our R.S. Andrews cool down at the end of the show where we kind of talk about this kind of stuff I've obviously touted Jimbo Fisher a lot. I was of the belief that Jimbo Fisher was probably going to build a pretty big winner at Texas A&M. My belief on this was based on the fact that in his past, he had a lot of first-round quarterbacks that he had tutored. He'd won a national championship. There weren't very many active coaches with a national championship at that time. That hiring Jimbo was probably a very big deal for Texas A&M, getting him away from Florida State. I thought was a very big deal. There would have been plenty of Florida State fans who said, you know what, we're not that sad to see him go. He had kind of worn out his welcome there in Tallahassee. I thought the Seminole folks were wrong about that. As it turns out, they were probably right. And as it turns out, I was as wrong about Jimbo Fisher, I think, as I've ever been on anything, at least by appearances right now. It is really, really bad at Texas A&M. In fact, it's so bad that I think you have to strongly consider making a move. I really do. As expensive as it is, as embarrassing as it would be to fire him the year after you gave him another big extension on what was already kind of an outsized contract, it would be really embarrassing. But I don't know how you survive this offseason. I really don't. Because for all the attention that 2022 class got, so many people said, well, a year from now, they're all going to go in the transfer portal because Jimbo Fisher's not a very good coach. That may be exactly how it's going to play out for a lot of the people who said that. I mean, you already see a lot of kind of curious absences for Florida, for A&M on the field right now. You're left to wonder, is that already kind of a little bit of some of this? You can't be in the transfer portal right now, but is that sort of the early makings of this? And I don't know how you salvage talking points, how you salvage a narrative in the offseason without a fresh face at coach. They may not do it. They may not. 
and I can't even imagine even suggesting that they should. But I think you have to strongly consider. I really, really do. I don't know what Texas A&M is supposed to do this offseason, knowing that everything they thought they were building for, all of a sudden now it's all completely called into question. And I don't know how you can go back to those same boosters and say, hey, I know you gave us a bunch of money last year. Now we need even more money to buy even more players, even though the players that we did get didn't exactly perform very well. And some of them are now transferring out of the program. We need even more of your money. How do you do that? I really don't know. One more thing on this game, going back to the Auburn side here for a moment. There are going to be a lot of Auburn folks debating about whether or not Cadillac Williams should be the next head coach. And I get it. You obviously won a game. The vibes around Auburn right now seem to be really good. But for someone who watches a lot of college football, many of you are kind of the same boat I am. We've seen this a lot this year where interim coaches have come in and given kind of a little bit of a boost to the team which they're coaching for i actually took uh, auburn plus the points at mississippi state two saturdays ago for that very reason the interim coaches have actually done pretty well this year look at a team like georgia tech worst team in the country and yet um or one of the worst teams in the country and yet when brent key was installed as the interim they won a couple of games and they've kind of gone back to being tech again since then but there has been some momentum for some of these teams with interim coaches so you know I think you have to watch the Iron Bowl to see if this is real in any way. Because my assumption is, even though I just kind of trashed Alabama a moment ago, Alabama should get an easy win in the Iron Bowl, right? That's a team that just has so much more from an operation standpoint going for it than Auburn does. And by then, you've kind of let the 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 good vibes of the interim coach, whatever honeymoon phase there seems to be for interim coaches, you've kind of let that go away by then. My assumption is, is you'll see auburn sort of turn into a pumpkin against alabama but if it doesn't happen even if they play it close they don't have to win the game necessarily even if they fight down to the wire against nick saban in alabama that might be enough to earn cadillac williams some fans but it's a very interesting situation when it seemed like their booster class their donor class was very much interested in like the sort of the lane kiffin hugh freeze style coaches and all of a sudden now you've got an interim coach that's kind of winning for himself fans by the day they're on the planes that should be interesting to see a couple other points here real quick Tennessee just piles on points against Missouri on Saturday I'm talking about just one right after the other finally uh, scores in the 60s so I'll tell you a story about this really quick I was driving to uh Starkville and kind of going you know kind of past uh Tuscaloosa going towards the Mississippi State line and as you might imagine, you sort of lost your streaming capabilities in the car. You know, uh, of course, very safe, hands at 10 and 2. But, you know, you just kind of put the CBS broadcast through the Bluetooth speaker and let the, uh, the, the game broadcast kind of act as a radio for you. So listening to Missouri, Tennessee, while I could, and Missouri actually kind of cut into the lead. It was like 28-24. And I was thinking, hey, you know, I thought Missouri had a chance to kind of play this one close. And here they are. They're playing it close. It's 28-24. And then I lost my signal, and uh, uh, by the time I finally got it back, it was really just a few minutes later, all of a sudden now it's 40-something to 24, and like Tennessee had really extended its lead. And I got to give credit here. You know, I kind of asked going into this game whether or not Tennessee could have the look of a playoff team off having lost to Georgia and kind of pointing out that, hey, you may see three examples – you know where Tennessee sort of looked like a playoff level team but you see at least three examples where they haven't looked like a playoff level team and so what is the real Tennessee here well on Saturday they kind of looked a little bit more like a a playoff level team I think you have to give them credit for that and I'm not just saying that because they scored 60 points in this fourth quarter frankly the garbage time stuff just does not matter they can score 100 points but what happens after the game's well in hand a I don't I don't actually believe it's going to influence the committee that much 
And B, it doesn't prove Tennessee any better than it did when they were like 40-something to 20-something there. It's what you did when the game was closed that actually demonstrates the strength of your team. And Tennessee was very strong when Missouri tried to make a game out of this. There's also some discussion here right now about the possibility that Tennessee may have had some extra motivation against Missouri. There's some audio that's been shared. I don't have this to play for you, but it has been shared of uh, of Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri coach, on the Jim Rome radio show back in the summer. And uh, Drinkwitz making a big show out of like NCAA stuff against Tennessee and how he was going to get some lo- a loss that he had to Tennessee, get it back because Tennessee was going to vacate some wins and was just really kind of trying to be funny and joking around. And I guess there is some chatter coming out of Knoxville that maybe Josh Heupel felt not only the motivation to want to kind of try to impress the playoff selection committee, but also kind of wanted to get back at some of the things that Eli Drinkwitz had said in the past. I don't know if that's real or not. But there has been at least some chatter about that. So uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty more aftermath of this to come. But I will also say this very quickly about Tennessee. Their biggest problem is going to be, even though Oregon loses on Saturday, the truth is, is you've got like a USC or a UCLA team that's still very much alive for the playoff discussion. So a Pac-12, you know, one-loss conference champion could still occupy a playoff spot. And then maybe more prominently than that, much to the surprise of many, TCU goes on the road and beats Texas on Saturday. Now, it's still going to be kind of a challenging, you know, stretch for TCU to end the season. They got Baylor on Saturday. Baylor got, you know, beaten up pretty good this past weekend, but that's still not an easy game necessarily. Kind of waiting to find out who the Big 12 title game opponent for TCU is going to be. But TCU is still undefeated, and they a lot of folks thought they wouldn't be, myself included, after this past Saturday. So TCU's in the top four right now and still winning. That's a big problem for Tennessee if it wants to be a second SEC team in the college football playoff. The rest of the country not exactly cooperating there right now. And then finally, quickly, Vanderbilt gets the first ever SEC win for the Clark Lee era, beating Kentucky. This is an awful performance the Wildcats. I've said all year long I did not think Kentucky was very good, and this has been kind of proven here once again. And then, by the way, speaking of not being very good, a game that really flew under the radar and you probably didn't even really notice South Carolina played terrible at Florida, terrible at Florida. Uh, you know, they're kind of off the headlines, kind of out of the out of the, the main storylines right now. Florida kind of is there, too. So this is a game on Saturday that you probably didn't have much reason to pay attention to whatsoever. But, you know, South Carolina has tried to show you some signs of life here and there. Obviously, getting the win against Texas A&M of the day was sort of an example of that. But, I mean, they just laid down and died at Florida on Saturday. This is a very, very shockingly bad performance by the Gamecocks. So at least wanted to mention that, that, you know, a lot of South Carolina fans are a little bit restless here right now. I like Shane Beamer as a coach a lot. But there were a lot of Gamecock fans that were not happy with them being competitive at all in this game on Saturday. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. By the way, before we let you go here today, a couple of things I want to make you aware of. Really, really exciting to think about uh cold weather now but spring being here before you know it and obviously the return of a uh, major league baseball season there at that point in time well guess what this is also a great time right now to go ahead and start thinking about getting some tickets for braves games for the upcoming year there too great great time to start getting some single game tickets and be a part of the upcoming 2023 regular season right there at truest park they are on sale now and it's kind of fun for the upcoming year there's going to be kind of a new balanced schedule in place. So you're actually going to see every team kind of coming through Truist Park, which is kind of a cool thing. Here in Atlanta, we got a lot of folks who kind of either live other places or you think about some of the great players, you know, like, you know, Shoei Tani or Mike Trout, guys like that you don't get to see very much. Well, you're going to start seeing those guys kind of coming through Truist Park a lot more in the future. 
And the home schedule here in 2023 for the Braves certainly reflects that. How about the fact that the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Yankees, the Angels, the Dodgers, all those teams coming through Tourist Park here this year? I think that's great. And there's also a really, really fun, you know, look at some of the great giveaways the Braves will be doing. They're always so good at that. How about some of the hometown bobblehead series stuff presented by Coca-Cola? Going to have Matt Olson uh, representing Georgia, Kyle Wright from Alabama, Austin Riley representing uh, Mississippi. So a lot of states around Braves country going to be represented on those uh, bobbleheads. That's a really fun thing. And uh, all kinds of other great giveaway stuff there as well. So you can find out more about this by going to Braves.com slash tickets. That's Braves.com slash tickets for all the giveaway nights, the bobbleheads, the A-chains, all that kind of stuff for all of the big time teams. We're going to be rolling into Truist Park. That's going to be a lot of fun, too. It's Braves.com slash tickets. That's the website. Braves.com slash tickets. Atlanta Braves baseball for the A. Also, speaking of big tickets and big events, of course, the big SEC championship is coming here to Atlanta in a couple of weeks. And as you're sort of thinking about where you might want to be from a hotel standpoint for that, uh, I want you to keep our friends in Dunwoody in mind. Dunwoody is a very, very convenient place to get to downtown Atlanta uh, when you're thinking about being there for the SEC championship. There's more than 2,000 rooms here in this Dunwoody area, which is actually kind of right here where we do our show from each and every day. Nine different hotels, all kinds of great options. Plus, here's what I can tell you. You stay in one of these hotels here in this Dunwoody area, you can hop right on the Dunwoody Marta Station or the Sandy Springs Marta Station, and it's all right there, very convenient for you. You can hop right on the Marta and go straight to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is great. Plus, there's tons of restaurants around here, you know, 200 different restaurants, whether it be high-end steakhouses uh, or, or you know, uh, great food around uh, Perimeter Mall, all that area. It, it, it's a really wonderful area to be at. If you're thinking about the SEC Championship, right here around the uh, the Dunwoody area, tons of great shopping there, too. So kind of make it one of those combined sort of game day, Christmas shopping type weekend experiences. Enjoy some good restaurants, have easy travel back and forth to uh, downtown Atlanta. You can get all of that when you use the area here around Dunwoody as your kind of home base location for the SEC Championships. So let me give you a website to go to. Go to discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation. That's uh, discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation. Now, eventually, these rooms are going to all be booked up. People are going to be uh, sort of getting locked in on all of this. So you want, I want you to get you uh, thinking about that, your travel plan for the SEC Championship. Dunwoody, a great home base for you for dining and shopping and obviously easy access to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for a lot more on that one. We'll see you in Atlanta for the SEC Championship here coming up. And, of course, in the uh, next couple of days here, as you might imagine, Dog Nation have big announcements as it relates to the big game coming up in Atlanta. I cannot wait to tell you about all that. We got some really big stuff as the mission to go for two in 22 continues here with that next big stop on that being in atlanta for the sec championship of course before that a couple of big regular season games to conclude all this with so we'll keep our attention on that but we'll get you ready for the sec championship here coming up and by the way ticket punch for atlanta own the east that's what georgia did on saturday and you can celebrate that with your own the east t-shirt dognation.com click the link and you can get the one of the original t-shirts we had here around dog nation the own the east t-shirt you can get that and by the way in celebration of all that let's give out some golden shoes today there as well how about this from my buddy mike the mad dog who shows you lad mcconkey holding on to a mike leach leach looks like a baby and uh mike says the face you make when you don't like your new daddy hashtag go for two in 22 a very unhappy mike leach 
with Ladd McConkey as the daddy. And on Saturday, that was certainly the case. Of course, Trisha Ann giving uh, Mike some credit for that, saying that looks like a golden shoe winner for me. We love Trisha Ann, so we're glad to have her shouting out the golden shoe. So we'll honor her, uh, her there as well. BG Dixon, UGA bread lady, saw uh, their family in uh, Tusk, I should say, in Starkville on Saturday. That was fun to see. And she also shared this really cool big rig here with the Dog Nation name, the George G. That's one of the coolest big rigs you're going to see right there. Great to see them. We had so much fun with so many dog fans in Starkville, including BG Dixon, the family there. That was awesome. Such a great experience. Really fun to uh, see all that. Do we have another golden shoe up, Lee? Yeah, one more there as well. Uh, Chris, who's Go Dogs 8419 on Twitter, also laughing about Mo Nix. You know, Oregon lost on Saturday to uh, Washington. Chris saying, hey, BA, after Saturday, I'm left with one lingering question. Does Bo Nix still think Oregon would be UGA in a rematch? Chris, that's a very funny question, a very, very uh, funny thing to notice here because Bo Nix at one point in time was talking about that. But after losing again to Washington, it certainly appears that possible rematch with Georgia is never coming. So you can add that to the list of things that Bo Nix has been wrong about over the course of his college career. Lots of funny golden shoes. Congrats to all of you, and we appreciate that. And we'll remind you, that speaking of old school something we've been doing for a long time now the gator hater countdown 348 days from now georgia back in jacksville beating up on florida again hopefully the weather will be much warmer there than it has been the last few days but nonetheless that's our gator hater countdown go for two in 22 we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take your comments here whether they come on twitter at dog nation daily in the comment section at dognation.com, uh, Ray Rogers writes in to ask, he says, I've been racking my brain about this. I want your opinion. Georgia loses to LSU in the SEC championship to finish 12-1. and uh, LSU is in 11-2. and You've got Clemson as the ACC champ at 12-1. and He says TCU is 13-0, and they are the Big 12 champion. He says Ohio State is 13-0, they're the Big 10 champion. USC is 12-1, they're the Pac-12 champion. you got Tennessee 11-1, Michigan 11-1. Under those circumstances, does Georgia make the playoff? All right, this is an interesting question. And let's kind of go through this here uh, a, a bit. So if Georgia loses in the SEC championship, a lot of doors would be opened up. And if we take all of these scenarios kind of at face value here, the one team that you know for a fact is getting in, I would say, is Ohio State as a 13-0 Big Ten champion. That's a team that's definitely in the playoff based on the scenario that Ray gives us here. And then the next team that I would say is definitely in, based on a combination of factors, is probably uh, USC at 12-1. and one. I think the committee would love to have USC in the playoff if possible. It's a huge fan base in Los Angeles. You haven't had a Pac-12 team in the playoff since 2016. Am I right about that? They would love to have the West Coast represented in the playoff and for it to be USC in particular because USC does have a sizable fan base. They are out there. So now that now that gives you two more uh, playoff spots to give out, and the question is, would they consider excluding an undefeated Power Five champion um, like TCU? Because the dirty little secret here is, and this is not being conspiratorial. I believe this is just a fact. The committee does not want a team like TCU in the playoff. It's a small school. 
you know, in Fort Worth, Texas, does not have a huge following, doesn't have a national following at all. They would love to exclude them from the playoff. They did exclude them in 2014. They'd love to do it again. But if they're 13 and 0 in Pac-12 and Big 12 champions, there would be a lot of political pressure to take them because a lot of the other university presidents and leaders of schools would be saying, otherwise, what are we all doing here if a team like this can run through its entire schedule? And Honestly, at the time the games were played, you know, they have faced a decent number of ranked opponents. So if you can't say they've necessarily played that soft of a schedule, if they're undefeated and a, and a Power Five conference champion, you'd probably have to take them. Now, if they have one loss, there's zero chance they're making it. TCU is a one-loss team; is not making the playoff. I, I think there's zero chance of that. But if they're undefeated, they would probably have to get in. This is a very interesting scenario that Ray uh, shares here. So that leaves you one spot left. And you're talking about Georgia at 12 and one, LSU at 11 and two, uh, Clemson as an ACC champ at 12 and one, uh, or Tennessee, Michigan 11 and one. So I think in this scenario, you can start excluding teams like Michigan and Tennessee. I believe there's a chance that either of those two teams could make the college football playoff. But in this particular instance, you probably exclude them. And I believe you also probably exclude LSU at 11-2. and two. Yes, they would have just beaten Georgia, but we've not seen a two-loss team make the playoff before. And in this scenario, I don't believe you'd see it either. So now you're kind of down to Clemson as an ACC champion at 12-1 and one, or Georgia as a non-conference you know, no conference title at all, but a 12-1 and one team who would have entered the championship weekend ranked number one. And I believe that George would probably get the nod there, I believe. But there's not a ton of precedent for excluding 11 and 1, or should say it'd be 12 and 1. There's not a lot of precedent for excluding a 12 and 1 conference champion in a scenario like that. There's just kind of not. Um, so that would get tricky. So the point here is, is that while it seems obvious that George is going to be in the playoff, kind of no matter what, that much the same way they were 12-0 last year, lost the SEC title game and still made it. I don't think you want to leave anything in the committee's hands because if different people were given the same data points that Ray shared with me here, um, I think different people might conclude different things. I believe George would probably still make it, and I believe the playoff would probably be Georgia TCU, Ohio State, and uh, USC. I believe that's what the playoff would be. Uh, but different people might draw a different conclusion here. And it kind of goes to something we said during the show that that TCU continue to win. They may not continue to win this entire time. They're not going to be a very big favorite in any of the games they're playing the rest of the season, but they're continuing to win is a little bit problematic if you're a team like Tennessee or maybe even a team like Michigan. But Michigan's got the big game coming up against Ohio State when they can punch their own ticket, and some people think they may win that game. Uh, I would say that, that the presence of USC is a problem if you're trying to be an at-large team. But for Georgia, they would probably still get the nod, but based on the scenario, the way that Ray shares it here, it's not obvious. It's an interesting it's an interesting debate. So if you want the teams that he gives you, I'll give them to you one more time, and you can kind of think about this yourself. Georgia is 12-1, and one, the SEC runner-up. LSU is 11-2, SEC champ. Clemson is 12-1, and one, ACC champ. And by the way, North Carolina winning on Saturday increases the chances that the ACC title game feels like a bigger game than, say, for instance, the Big Ten title game is going to feel like. North Carolina and, and Clemson 
could have pretty good rankings going into a game like that. TCU is undefeated at 13-0, and that would be the Big 12 champion. Ohio State, 13-0, that's the Big 10 champion. USC, 12-1, that's the Pac-12 champ. And then you've got Tennessee and Michigan both at 11-1. Very interesting scenario shared by Ray there and a fun debate. And that is our podcast cool down for today. You can find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. Heating systems, it's very cold right now. That means winter is essentially here. So go ahead and get that heating system, that furnace, tuned back up to factory fresh specs. You can find them online, rsandrews.com. They can do it for you. Get some new life out of that old unit. They'll tell you how at rsandrews.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.